Now, I was just saying to uh, Jason, Andrew, that I've hit a new level of comfort with both of you. I'm wearing a singlet, uh, so I'm sorry about that. And you've got your PJ shirt on, is that right? I do. It's my Grinch pajamas. So, oh, yeah, per- oh, perfect. <laughs> I think you mean it's the you pajamas. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> is that the one that we saw on micro.blog with uh, your breakfast preparation? Yeah, it probably was. Good memory. I don't forget. It, 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 the picture left an impression on me. You were you were very boldly buttering right. bread or something. That's right. Yes, I was. Yeah, I, re- I recall it clearly now. It's embarrassing because my wife started a new family tradition. And so she buys Christmas pajamas each year now. But she buys four sets of them. So we have me, her, and two kids all dressed in the same pajamas. That's charming, surely. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. <laughs> it's like an ad for Peter Alexander pajamas or something. That's what these are. Do they come in a four pack or is that something you have to orchestrate yourself through the, the self-checkout process? Yeah, you got you got to do that yourself. It's not like a wow. bulk buy situation where, you know, you buy a family movie ticket. That's a missed opportunity. There should just be, you know, a bucket that comes with all the sizes you need and you're ready to go. <laughs> a pajama bucket. Yeah. That's a pajama that's bucket. An untapped business opportunity. <laughs> oh. Jason, your drink just there you've reminded me. I've taken a leaf out of your book and I've uh, come prepared with a multi beverage experience. Oh, good. We've got the the Milo, which I'm drinking first, which may be risky for a podcast considering that milk may not be optimum uh, for the throat. Is that cold? Mm. Wait, what is that? It's cold. Yeah. Milo. Are you familiar with Milo? Nestle Milo? No. No. What is that? Do tell. It's a gritty multi-choc powder, which should mix into milk, but doesn't properly because apparently the inventor was told by his children that it's nice when it's coarse. You get this little grainy slick on top of the milk which is just perfect what do you reckon andrew you like it that way or do you mix it in with hot milk no i like i like mix it with cold milk and then you you whip it up so it goes it Mm. gets milky like the malty the chocolate malt sort of mixes in with the milk but then yeah it's still like a sludge that forms on the top of the milk and then you just spoon that off and eat it Exactly. And then you drink the chocolate flavored milk after that we're on opposite sides of the continent but we're aligned. Wow. It makes perfect sense. Okay. That's, I mean, if, if the way you like it is the way it was not intended, that's all the better. It's so delicious. I don't think, I don't think you've ever met a person who doesn't like Milo. Yeah. It's not like Vegemite. It's, it's a chocolatey thing. You're going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> so no, no thin layers here. We want thick, just sludge. Yeah. Yep. You can't overload Milo into milk. It doesn't matter how much. You will just take it, you know, and, Milo is one of those things you can eat it straight out of the jar or tin. I should call it a tin. Uh, my Milo to milk ratio as a teenager was criminal. Keeping it speedy, number two, I have the Cotty's Lime Cooler Cordial in pure green. I didn't realize doing a podcast with a seven year old. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I brought it up. <laughs> we had German visitors from when I went on exchange and they saw me drinking this and said, Martin, why are you drinking palm olive? And I said, it's not palm olive, it's, it's an Australian staple, followed by just fizzy water, because I feel that's a podcast staple. So I just want to say thank you, Jason, for inspiring me. Is that the green thing? Was that, was the liquid green or was the cup green? I couldn't... Both. And Both. I, I did that deliberately just to... To really hype up the green. Yeah, that's, that is 
Wow, that's radioactive looking. I love it. Anyway, you're right, Andrew. I turn eight next week, so thanks for having me on. <laughs> I'm just worried about the combination of Milo milk and um, cordial. It's like, wow. It's an experiment. I'm going to go to cordial now. Oh, jeez. Mm. Oh, God, I made that a bit strong. <laughs> Well, we've got origin stories there, and I think I've distracted enough. So, Jason, you entered this. Do you want to kick it off, explain what this is all about? I would love to explain what it's about. I don't even really fully know, to be perfectly honest. It kind of was just something where I was thinking, where where did we get to where we're at now? Almost like a superhero, but obviously less super, probably less hero, and more focused more around nothing that's us, but more about the things that we've used. So... That seems pretty straightforward. I don't know if anybody didn't get that. You, sh- you shouldn't talk yourself down. Come on, you're super. Then it snowballed, and then Andrew sends this beautiful like graphic of his life in technology, and I feel horrible because I haven't even written anything down in terms of text. I was going to kind of just wing it. So then I had to break out graffle last night and start building something that looked somewhat respectable and i came up with something and then i think martin you followed suit but yours was even prettier than mine also what nah with with the handwriting was that actually handwriting yes that's apple pencil yep oh man that's beautiful beautiful handwriting it looked like a font thank you very much natasha tells me i have doctor's handwriting so you two have really given me a boost thank you wow if no not at all you need to go back to med school because it it looked great (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much well i suppose we'll be including these in the show notes maybe no one cares and if not then that's why we have chapters uh you just (laughs) skip right past this part Well, this is fascinating. I, I love knowing people's history in technology, like where they came from. It's it's kind of the origin of this podcast itself in a way, because when Martin and I had our chat over um, on Lounge Ruminator, we ended up talking about old computers and it was it was fun. That was a blast. I'm more interested in your histories than mine. I know mine. Right. Well, well Andrew, since you added yours first... Do you want to run us through your thought process? Because what I find really interesting about each of these graphics is that not only does it say something about our histories or what we've liked or used, but it also shows the way that we think a little bit, how different we are, because all three are presented quite differently. Yes. Which I feel is quite deliberate. Yeah, I think just looking at the graphic alone, I think says almost more than what's in the graphic. (laughs) (laughs) If only I could have made this into a spreadsheet. (laughs) I'm sure you can. Yeah, so I'll, so I'll kick off with mine. This is actually a, a bit of a confession. This is not a new document. It's one that I had built a while ago. I don't even know why I do it. I think I did it just to play with OmniGraffle and I needed some purpose, something to make with it. And so I came up with this concept, but it served me well. Essentially, it's a timeline of my computer and console ownership dating back to the first one in 1984, showing my age. So I was like, seven years old then right through it it goes to 2014 so it needs a bit of an update but i think i've captured everything certainly everything i could remember so who knows if there was a little bit of extra stuff thrown in there but these are the main ones that certainly stick in my mind and i think it it all starts back with the atari 2600 that was the games machine i remember playing superman to the point where i could clock that i remember playing keystone cops 
I remember playing Pitfall. They were all awesome games. And it set me up for sort of technology in my life forevermore. I'll draw out just a few highlights, perhaps. The Dick Smith VZ200, awesome computer. Well, actually, it was absolutely rubbish, but I saved up for it for a long time. And I was so looking forward to it. It had those chiclet rubberized keys. I think it was a rebranded TRS-80. So it was an Australian one, but it was basically a trash 80. Four kilobytes of memory, I think it had. You know, so you couldn't do a lot with it, but it was like the gateway to computers evermore. And then I got into the compu- the Commodores and the Amigas, and that was like, I loved all that stuff. Was the Dick Smith, which... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring that up. Keep going. So I was going to ask if that was a kind of rebrand slash clone of another one. It sounds like it, it definitely is. You said you saved, was that, that was yours then? You, you, like, that was for your own purpose or was that like a, like a home thing? That, that was mine. I was pretty much the only one in the family that had any interest whatsoever. The family played the Atari, Ah. but then I was the only one that actually wanted a computer. I think my brother might've tried to do some statistics on it or something because he was in high school or something like that at the time. So I think he might've used it a little bit, but mainly it was mine. My sister's like, whatever, nerd. Also, just to jump in, Jason, Dick Smith, I'm not sure if you're aware, is actually a person. He's uh, an accomplished Australian entrepreneur. It's not innuendo or a joke. I figured not. I, I assumed it was like some kind of department store thing, <laughs> like because there, there'd be like a like a Sears whatever here. So I figured Dick Smith was like a some kind of store. Off to see Dick. That's right. He's great at ripping off other ideas and making them Australian, like sort of putting an Australian sort of twang to it so basically dick smith stores were a ripoff of well they were a ripoff of tandy which was a ripoff of radio shack in america i think so yeah i think that's kind of how it goes but yeah he's ripped off vegemite there's some like dick smith aussie mite speaking of vegemite there's a fun vegemite fact on the hemispheric views microdot blog account if you haven't seen it already someone was doing some vegemite research yesterday i'm not gonna say who <laughs> Up to the listeners to guess, yeah. So yeah, jumping ahead, I had my Commodore Amiga, my Amiga face, or I loved it. That wasn't, I played games, but I, that's where I really got into the whole idea of Workbench which and its operating system. I read an article just the other night, actually, I should put it in the show notes, about how beautiful the operating system of the Amiga was and how it still, it had like scripting language, it had multitasking, it had like a Unix style file structure. You could use the terminal and a GUI at the same time. It was way ahead of its time, and I loved it. It was really cool, but it just didn't really progress anywhere, and I held on as long as I could, which looks like about 1997, and I got a junky IBM PC thing made by the company Packard Bell. Jason, do you know Packard Bell? Oh, yeah. It was pretty bad. That's how I learned to hack registries and all that in Windows. Ah, yeah, and then on to the custom-built PCs. And then finally we get to the interesting time where it was like 07-ish, and I got my first Apple MacBook. This was the 17-inch, like the first one they made that was an Intel chip. Yeah. And so that was what pushed me over the edge. I'd been following Apple for a long time, but never wanting to commit the dollars. You know, I'd walk into like the Apple reseller shop and look at them and drool over them and say they're cool, but never actually buy one. Finally, when they went Intel, I was like, I'm going to do it. That computer, I loved it, but it was so flawed. It got so hot. 
it would roast your legs. It was the computer that I loved to have, but I hated to have at the same time. And I hated to carry it because it was so big. Yeah, and it sort of, they hadn't really got the unibody down yet. It was still a multi-construction. So you'd pick it up. If you held it sort of in a corner, it, the whole thing would creak. Yeah. Could you feel the flex? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was heavy and it was hot and it had that giant screen. But man, it was just like, this is the future. It was so cool. And it was like, I am never not going to have Apple again, as long as I can help it. It was so much better than all those PCs that had come before. So 2007 was the was the tipping point, it looks like, around there, 2006, yeah. 2007. That's about when they did that transition over to Intel, and I was like, yep, I mean. Was that your first transition from desktop to laptop also? It was, yeah, yep. So I remember taking the, lugging this 17-inch into my work and sort of like setting it up next to my PC in the office. With the power, with the giant power brick, because the battery lasted no time at all, being yep. a seventeen-inch laptop. <laughs> yeah, but it was just so cool to have. And uh, I don't really know what I did. I think I might have used a bit of Omni Outliner and stuff. <laughs> that was a kind of all I used it for. But it's just the concept of having it there. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then moved on through the through the laptop range. So had a fifteen-inch MacBook Pro, and then the thirteen-inch. MacBook Pro with a Retina display, which still lasted and lasted and lasted and literally got put to bed. My wife's version of that got put to bed this afternoon. Oh, and why is that? Uh, we got two new babies in the family <gasps> today. Very exciting. Congratulations. And Thank we're talking you. technical babies, aren't we? <laughs> we are. We are. What if, somebody's, <laughs> what if somebody's phone just crashed right there and they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we're the proud parents of two MacBook Air M1s, both with 16 gigabyte of RAM, space gray, and they are beautiful. Can you guys still hear me, even though you're both so much faster than me now on your M1s, and I'm back here in the slow lane with my Intel chip? Am I still coming through okay? We are getting warnings about you constantly, but we didn't want to say anything. I thought so. Flashing up saying someone here is inferior. I knew but, it. You know. I knew it. <laughs> If it makes you feel better, I am still podcasting tonight from this broken down piece of junk Intel iMac that, I'm, oh. that I've got here in front of me. So yeah, we've got the, the M1 just, just behind me over there. The of which desk. the iMac was perfectly awesome, like 13 <laughs> seconds prior to opening the box of the this new This thing Mac. sucks. This is the worst computer I've ever used. <laughs> I've got the whiff of that, that, that fragrance of Apple factory, you know, chemicals. And it was like, oh. The one that doesn't smell like my candle. <laughs> so so i don't know i don't know if that's a bit of a rundown of my ownership i've got i've got consoles in there i've got some ipads and ipods and all that sort of stuff i haven't actually got my yeah what's the, what was the uh the ipod like with the, the clicker wheel i just realized that's not i think i decided that wasn't a computer nor a game console it was the first one that was the first one i got i held off a long time but i got the ipod with video that's when the screen went wider yeah yeah and it got a bit thinner, I think, and it was just awesome. I picked, I found it in the attic the other week, and I held it, and it still feels perfect. Like, just, you can't beat that design. Amazing. So I'll put this diagram in the show notes. Happy to have feedback from anybody. It does need updating. Maybe that's something I need to get onto. I might need to re-license OmniGraffle to do it. Very exciting. That should be your first M1 task. That's a good idea. 
Might be M1 ready. I'm not sure though. Fingers crossed with the Omni Group. And Andrew's done a lovely job with it, as we can see. No one is misunderstanding the chronology and tidiness of this diagram. So I congratulate you. Thank you. Very type A personality diagram. Well, I, I think the whole, I think the sentence you said last where you said, where's the iPod? And then you went into almost a self argument with yourself right there about whether it was a, <laughs> a, a games console or a computer or no, it's not really either. Yeah. You know what? You're off the list. And I, I could just see that happening in real time again. Like it did however many years ago you made this. <laughs> Does a felt tabletop in Game Center count? I don't know. <laughs> it went there. There at some point there was like in his actual mind mapping, like that was an endpoint somewhere. <laughs> I could see it happening. It was just like mind node was coming out of his head. And I just was watching it happen in real time. Oh, I've lost it. <laughs> oh goodness. It's frightening how how close to the truth you are. <laughs> I'm that transparent. Yeah, we're all over you. You can see it. But speaking of OmniGraffle, it looks like Jason's a bit of a user as well. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm guessing this was an OmniGraffle job. Oh, 100%. So we're opening up Jason's diagram now. Very yes, good. mine is the lovely slash ugly green square with a circle in the middle that looks like a bullseye. I don't know why it looks like that. I went a little bit of a different route and I kind of broke everything into like four sections of my life based on time. So... I have what I call the game console era, 82 to 1990, which simply just means I was a kid and all I had were game consoles. So there you go. Very big Nintendo uh, person. So NES, Super NES, Game Boy. Towards the end of the, uh, of the 80s into the 90s, we did have an IBM computer at home that my dad, I believe, had for work debatable how much work was really done on it and it was probably more just i want to play with a computer because they're kind of new thing and hey it's a business expense (laughs) so i think that's kind of how that ended up at our house because i don't frankly remember there being much more than flight simulator going on on that computer uh and and solitaire so call that bookkeeping if you want did he not play leisure suit larry or was that pre i don't i don't i think um I think Flight Simulator was like the most games-centric that that anyone really got. Right. And then I played like, you know, learning games, Carmen Sandiego, stuff like that. Uh, But I do remember spending many, many hours on Flight Simulator just trying to A, figure out how to get the stupid plane to take off. And then B, once that happened, how do you actually land? Both of which were horrendously difficult in a game that just seemed like it really shouldn't be that hard. (laughs) It's like they they took the actual control system from a plane and then put graphics on it from like 1990. And they're like, go, you got this. You're like, I've never flown a plane. That's fine. <laughs> You've got a QWERTY keyboard. <laughs> yeah, go for it. It's it's page up, page down, obviously. Can I just ask, what's that What's that game console with the sort of the purple flushings on it? I don't know my consoles that well from that era. That's the Super NES in the US version. Ah, okay. Ours was gray and purple. There was two different, same with the NES, how the, in Japan, it was like the kind of goldy red color. We just had different colored versions because I don't know. So nothing else was different other than your interesting PowerPoint. No. It would have been NTSC. We would have had the PAL version. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That confused me to no end as a kid on iMovie. I was like, it's PAL, I think. Yep, yep, yep. 
And when you would find movies and they were in PAL and you're like, wait, how do, what does that mean? I don't understand. It means it was better quality. I could I can vouch for that. Okay. <laughs> Had more scan lines. Back to Betamax. Um, <laughs> into the 90s, uh, that is when computers happened. So that's my personal computer era is what I'm calling that. And that was, let's see, 1996 was the very first computer that I got that was actually mine. And that was the Compaq Presario 4784. It obviously left quite a mark that I still remember the model number of this, looking back now, horrifically ugly and weirdly designed computer. It had, on the top, it had a built-in system for storing five cds just you know if your five favorite cd roms got them right there it had more plastic molding around it than anyone ever needs and then it had these what i can only describe as atrocious speakers that clipped on the side but as soon as you took them off again the clips broke so you could never get them back on so very well designed <laughs> My Packard Bell had ear speakers as well. That was totally just a thing. I guess it just, yeah. for some reason, they thought, well, we don't want to put anything on the desk because we've already taken up nine-tenths of your desk with this monitor that is so big. But I will say one thing about this. This was back when we had dial-up internet. These computers sucked. I had a webcam. I don't know what even resolution it was. It was huge. But I do remember doing video calling with it over dial-up with a webcam across it was basically from one side of the country to the other and it pretty much worked how did you do that i have no idea i don't recall what app we would have used or what sorry program we would have used um if that was something that was maybe part of the because we had the same computers we had the same model and everything so it might have been like a some gimmicky compact thing to show how advanced their computers were. I don't know. I, I remember it wasn't super great. It didn't always work, but the fact that we were doing video calling back in had to be 97 maybe was looking back now it's like how how the hell did we do that? Obviously now we're walking around and we've got, you know, 4K FaceTime in your pocket, but that was something that was like just blew me away back then. Quick question, sorry. Uh, I want to know, were you one of those kids who grew up in the US with one of those inbuilt home intercoms, like in Ferris Bueller. I did have one of those, yes. <laughs> there you go. All right. I used to lust after that. <laughs> because I, I'm a kid born in the 90s, right, in Australia, seeing this thing from the 80s going, that, that's a thing? Ah, oh, amazing. And it's this fantasy that I, I learn my fellow co-host has grown up with. It was such a thing too. Like, so a lot of houses had it. Well, not a lot, but houses did have that then. And I don't think it, it was more about, I think, people wanting to have it than wanting to actually use it. I think that's really what it came down to. Cause it was kind of, I guess you could call somebody on that, but you could easily just say, hey, down the hall. <laughs> like, it's not, <laughs> I don't know. It, it was always kind of a, thing you knew was there but no one really ever used it except when your kids you use it as like for pranks and stuff but did you did you also have a laundry chute and a garbage <laughs> a garbage compactor thing in the sink <laughs> yes you had both of those this is like every family american film i've ever seen you had a laundry chute 
Yeah. <sighs> was there someone at the other end waiting? No. It, did, no you ever, <laughs> did you ever dive into it? No, but I always did think it seemed pretty horribly dangerous to just have like a giant hole going down through your house that you don't really know what's in there and you're just kind of throwing things down it. And you had a garbage dispenser thing in your sink. Yeah. You could just throw any random, just any random crap, just just throw it down the sink and it'll be fine. Yeah. Wow. You really were living my childhood dreams. Well, all of this has happened before and it's happening again with uh, the HomePod intercom. So it, yeah, there you go. absolutely. And much better video calling now as per this, not to say that sorry. Skype is anything worth talking about, but I took you away from your diagram. I'm sorry. That was just pretty important stuff we need to cover there. No, that's, oh, I think it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Yeah. So back to the quadrant top right for those playing at home, probably the most pivotal formative years for me. Again, first per- personal PC that was mine first mobile phone in i think 1999 maybe 2000 it was right on the edge there the nokia 282 uh the palm anything that was a small computer i wanted i would do anything to have didn't really need them it was just the fact that you could have a computer that you could bring around with you because everyone's impressed by that (laughs) look at my computer in my pocket cool and then PCs in general, much like your diagram, Andrew, where it was just like a long string of custom built, build your own, put a bunch of shit together computers. Yeah. Because the fun was taking it apart and putting it back together almost more than using it for anything. And even once you got it together physically, it was still about taking apart and putting together the software components more so than actually using them. It was just kind of It was more about tinkering than anything else. So that was definitely that whole time. And then that all went away. So speaking iPods into the portables era, iPod third gen was my first iPod. I remember it was very, very costly. I think it was around $400, if not more, but it came in a giant box. It was had Firewire. It had all kinds of accessories in the box, all the little stupid spacers so you could put it in various docks because they had to have the correct spacer and all that stuff. I still have the box of those. Yep. Yeah, I figured with an iPod Hi-Fi necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, the iPod third gen, that was my first introduction to Apple design. And that was very, very pivotal for me. And I remember everybody looking at me like, you know you can get an MP because MP3 players were still they were new, but it was long enough into it by that point where you go down and get you know off-brand MP3 player yeah. for close to close to no money. You get a Creative Rio or a, or a Microsoft Zune in brown, which is probably what I had. Honestly, I think I had some of those Creative Rio whatevers with the weird design that looked like the '90s still. And it was like, you spent 400 and what dollars on a, on an iPod. And it was still kind of like from Apple who at that point, if you were doing Apple stuff, people looked at you even more sideways, like the hell, Wait, what are you using that, you know, that f- toy computer for? But yeah, iPod third gen, huge, the trio line of phones, because it melded basically my Palm seven and my Nokia phone together, which was just amazing. Don't don't forget BlackBerry. I I had a, I had a BlackBerry at work for a while, and I felt like I felt like a stockbroker. Yeah, if you had a BlackBerry, whew. yeah, 
I, I was a big BlackBerry person. I remember setting up and like paying for a BlackBerry, what was it called? BlackBerry Enterprise Server or something. Yeah. Because you had to have, because they were for businesses. They weren't for like people to have. But we know why Andrew liked it because he's the briefcase guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. He had the briefcase with a little pocket where you could put your phone in there because you never carried your phone. It was always in your briefcase. As long as you could see the flashing red light when you knew something had happened. It's like, oh, oh, I've got to check my mail. Oh, don't get me started on the notification light. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Okay, so quick side tangent here. There was a several year period there prior to the iPhone and then after the iPhone of... I just, I could call it nothing but an obsession to find the phone with the perfect little status notification lights. And that was part of the reason I used Android for a while because I absolutely loved the little stupid light. Looking back, I think it's just like a stupid like social media kind of thing, right? Where like you're looking to get that like kick of whatever. So anything that would make the little light blink was just pure adrenaline for my, for my body. And then when the iPhone came out and it didn't have the little notification lights that all the other ones had, I was like, oh, God, what do I do? Like, I, I have to get this phone, but it doesn't have a notification light. And then I remember when you'd go through you'd jailbreak everything and there'd be like little stupid hacks to make like a light. But the whole screen had to come on, obviously, because it was an LCD. So it'd be like a black screen with like a green. Di- it was terrible. It was really bad there for a while. <laughs> So that's iPhone. And then first laptop, I believe, was the, well, first Mac laptop. I had a couple PC laptops that were just utter trash. But a laptop was, like, super expensive back then. So it was, like, any piece of crap that was technically not plugged into the wall. Love it. Uh, First Mac laptop, PowerBook G4, 12-inch. Still the best computer ever made. That was so good. I wanted one of those so much as well. That was so cool. It just was, it felt so ahead of its time. And, oh, man, I hacked the hell out of that thing. I remember, like, we, you could take the lid off, the front lid off, and, like, put in a piece of colored gel, like a uh, like that plastic kind of see-through stuff. Put it in front of the Apple logo. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, you could have your, your logo be different colors. And then, okay, moving into the modern era, Mac desktop, so the Mac Pro. 2009 Mac Pro. I still have it in the garage and actually ran it probably up till about three years ago. Wow. That thing, it still works today. You could use it perfectly fine. And there's there's actually a pretty good market for aftermarket pieces to kind of make it modern again. So you can have like handoff and all that stuff, but I don't want to deal with that crap anymore. Uh, and of course, Apple Watch, iPad, huge kind of transforming from mobile to like truly mobile. And then the move into not just Nintendo anymore, but everything. Just give me all the consoles. And that's where we're at today. Questions, comments, concerns? Well, this isn't a question that we asked Andrew, but I think we can turn to him in a moment after you. I know when we were going through your desk, you picked out the palm on your shelf as the thing Mm. that you would save from a fire. Mm. Out of this set of quadrants here, what would you say is the ultimate formative device like the one that had the biggest impression on you not necessarily the one that you would save from a fire but the one that led you or influenced you the most wow i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna pick two (laughs) (laughs) they are not the rules laid down so hey whatever i signed nothing okay 
Okay, Game Boy. Had to be. I love games. I still do to this day. And I think the mobile thing, because that was a theme throughout my whole life. I always wanted tech to be smaller and more pocketable and more portable. And like the Game Boy, there's, I mean, I don't know if there's really a better representation of pocketability from from the past. Um, And then I would say the iPod, not because of what it does or what it is, but what it represents in a turning point in my view on design and usability as a consumer. And I think that's led a lot for the rest of my life as I have consumed many things, but also designed and created many things. I think that was really the, the turning point for me that when I realized things can be delightful and great and really nice and well-designed. Instead of just, here's a thing that we made, you figure out how to fit yourself into that, products could be turned on their head and designed to fit what you needed. I'm fine with your cheating because that was a good answer. Yes. Andrew, what about you? Because we didn't ask you. No, but it's a very easy answer for me to, to give. It's the Commodore Omega 500. That thing was my youth. In so many ways, that was like the hub of my entire life. It brings back memories of sleepovers, all night gaming nights with my friends, which was so much fun. Yeah, it was it was sitting around with joysticks in hand playing games all night through. So it's a social element. Then it was the the area that I learned sort of both hardware and software upgrades to the memory. You know, slot in new memory chip, memory cards, and that sort of thing. But I even remember once putting in a new a new CPU or something. I can't remember quite what it was, but it was one of the chips and it was like a socketed chip. And so you had to take it all apart and unseat the old one and reseat the new one. And that was kind of like my first experience of hardware fiddling. And so that was really interesting to do. And then the amount of hours I put in into learning how the operating system worked. So I just knew the thing backwards and forwards, inside and out. You know, this is the thing. I look back now, I'm like, where did I spend all that time? But it was just learning the computer inside and out and just wanting to be able to find new things, find new ways of doing stuff. And to this day, I still read the Amiga forum on Reddit. I still go in there and have a look and see what people are doing with it. I like that it's the Amiga forum, but it's now on Reddit. Like it used to be like a a BBS looking thing way back now. (laughs) Now it's on Reddit. (laughs) As long as it lives, right? Another great answer. I, I, I love the idea of uh, that flowing through to sum up your efficiency, your, your devotion to productivity. I love that. That's really, really good. I'd never thought about that, actually, until just now as I was talking. I was like, that really is, really is it. Martin, do you want to tell us about your, your lifelong um, move into font creation? Yeah, Font creation. Look, I'm very flattered. Uh, you can come up with a name for it if you like. We'll do something about that. Natasha was making fun of it. Could you call it anything other than felt? Feld grotesque. <laughs> we'll take that. <laughs> uh, I, I think that uh, that works. But you can read it. There are no problems. Beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. Nothing for me. Very nice. Well, uh, listeners, if you open up this uh, apparently fine piece of typographic work, beautiful. I'm very happy. So I, I took a bit of a different approach and focused on six things that I consider to be very formative. I cut out things that personally I find very important or arguably tie with certain things, but I had to make harsh decisions. So really my computing life started when I was five years old with the 1997 Power Macintosh 6500. You are such a baby, such a baby. I could never just 
blows me every away every time. You're so young. Well, look, I mean, if you need justification or any sort of explanation for why the Mac is burnt into me, that there was no PC period before this. I grew up with PCs at school. I used PCs a lot alongside Macs at home, but the presence of the Mac at home meant that there was no chance that I would ever look at that for more than three seconds. So that computer was actually suggested to the family by my aunt, who was serious and still is serious Apple devotee, you know, given Apple Newtons at university through her educational job and stuff. So she was like, you must buy this and convinced the family in the year that the company was apparently about to go bankrupt. So it shows how much research my family was doing at the time. But yeah, ha- having that experience with the the more classic Mac OS and a lot of the beeps and bloops and the chime and and the big extended keyboard, I loved that thing. So even though it was arguably their worst period of design or success, that carryover from the legacy of the earlier Mac made a huge impression on me. So that's why that one ranks as the first. Look at that tower. Oh my gosh. That is just nothing good looking about that. Not at all. Not at all, but it was uh, it was very dear to me. It's the most PC-looking Mac there could ever be. So it looks like a marshmallow in a way. Yeah, it's almost like that Molar Mac. What I can't remember the name of that. <laughs> right. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The one that looks like a gigantic deformed tooth. You yeah. could probably do a whole semester's design deconstruction course just on the atrocities that have happened with this design. Yeah, you're right. There's nothing super special about the look of this machine, but I did love, you know, I remember using stuff like QuickTime VR and uh, playing Myst and that sort of stuff as a kid. And I loved it. So when people say, look at this 360 video or photo thing that you can have on Facebook, I'm thinking I was playing with these things when I was five or six in QuickTime. And they, you know, their eyes glaze over and I go, don't worry, just use your Facebook thing. But yeah, shifting to the next device, I put the Game Boy Color down. Now I'm pretty sure it was called Neotones Ice. I think it was like a Japanese and Australian exclusive particular version of translucent plastic influenced probably by the IMAX of the time, everything went translucent with colored plastic. But the reason I've put this down is that although I'm not a huge gamer, this was really the first personal device that I had. Nothing like an organizer or a computer really, but something that you could sit down with in an individual fashion and play through a game. From there, the only sort of set of Microsoft products to ever enter the house were Xbox branded. There was a 360 after this, but I don't really rank that. This first Xbox, That got me into the whole thing like parties for multiplayer with friends, Halo and so on. And it isn't pictured in this particular device diagram, but I had the, I think they called it the Duke controller. Do you know what I'm talking about when I use that word? It was like the massive Xbox controller, 150% the size of this one. It was like gigantic for children's hands. And I I held onto that thing until the cable frayed and then went and got a replacement one on eBay because it was like a dinner plate in your hands. More like a bread and butter plate, actually. But anyway, that was formative in the sense that it got me gaming with friends and opened up different discussions and ways of thinking about computers. But I actually attached it to the 4K OLED in the lounge room uh, fairly recently. And my goodness, it takes up a very small amount of that screen. (laughs) It's it's sort of like the equivalent of looking at what must be an original Macintosh display (laughs) relative to the size. It's like, oh yeah, I I can see the... The heads up there, that's good. I remember mine was plugged into a Sony Trinitron. It was like my, you know, moving, I'm moving out of home and I'm like a big, big person now. And I had, yeah, I had an Xbox and a Sony Trinitron flat screen. And I was like, look at me go. 
Hello, ladies. <laughs> now, the Power Mac G4, that was another family computer. But funnily enough, it was like a, a donation from that same aunt. We didn't buy it. And even though we shifted to the Intel iMac not long after that, this was the computer where I first used Mac OS X on a regular basis. And all of the jaggedness of the classic Mac OS had been pushed aside for Aqua. And I went, oh, my goodness. And it was my introduction to the iLife suite and all of these glossy new things. So that was really my training to enter the modern era, if you want to put it that way. And I loved the the curve of that machine. I just thought it was really cool. Is that the color you guys had? Yes, I, I found the the same picture. But yeah, in that same year, I also got the iPod mini, which similar to the Game Boy point was really embarking on personally carrying your own music. It had always been family music before then. And it's, you know, getting into the whole you know, managing your own metadata and library. It's, it, it's so much more personal. So that one sticks with me. And I still think that is the nicest thing ever to hold in your hand as a computer or some sort of device. I bet both of you guys were huge ID3 tag nerds. Yeah. Yeah. Things have to be correct. Yep. <laughs> but look, something that bothers me to this day uh, with the whole Apple Music Spotify era we're in now is that they don't, and this is troublesome from Apple, I have to say, they don't respect title case properly. They will actually capitalize prepositions and uh, various things, which I don't quite like. Nothing makes Martin angrier than an incorrectly titled preposition. No, I, he hates going through my show notes and correcting all of my, <laughs> my awful mistakes. <laughs> Sorry to be a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a bastard, an anal bastard. <laughs> oh, God. That's the best kind. <laughs> Would you prefer that I don't do it anymore? No, no, political no. On the show. Do it. Make it, make it good. <laughs> Very good. (laughs) Anyway, that brings me to the last one. And that was my first personal computer, the Unibody MacBook 13-inch, not the Pro, the one that came with uh, fewer ports. And it was really that first uh, of the Unibody construction. And that computer I still have in the other room. It's still running. I just did a replacement battery, some RAM upgrades. It's a, a beautiful machine, although it's obviously thicker by today's standards. But, you know, I used that for my final high school year. I did my undergraduate degree and uh, like honors thesis stuff on it it went through a lot of work and I, I love that machine so that was the the workhorse ultimately and that's the the summary love it asking the question to you now which of those items if it's i assume it will be one of those which is the one that's most important to you you know you had to rescue rescue it from a fire the one that i would rescue from the fire would probably be uh, it would be almost a tie between the iPod mini and the MacBook 13-inch, but maybe the iPod just as a design piece. Although I would say the one that was the most influential, despite its relative ugliness, would be the Power Macintosh from 97. That Everything follows that. I think you should choose the iPod. It's easier to get out of a burning house with an iPod rather than that Power Mac. Yeah, I'd probably die taking it out. That's right. And, and whatever heavy metals or, or things were in it that <laughs> will, will catch fire and poison me as I try to escape. What if I introduced a new topic area known as Unannounced Trivia Corner? Are you wow, ready? That was an explosion. Are you ready? Please. Here we go. First question. This is... Oh, man. I'm not, I didn't tell you about this. This is a new thing we're doing. We're doing trivia between both of you for points. Points? Oh, God. So if you, could be, you, better, you better do well. You better buzzer. First question. They're all... Multiple choice, first of all, let me lay the ground rules. Multiple choice. You each will answer, no commentary, 
because you could give it away to the other person. All right. So here we go. First question. How many pins does a VGA cable have? A, 11, B, 13, C, 15, or D, 16? Okay. I've locked in my answer. Okay. Go ahead. 15, C, 15. Okay. Martin? Well, I'm just going to be different, and the number 13 sounds stupid, so I'll choose that one. Okay. The best part is I'm not going to tell you who got it right and who got it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not going to know. Okay, next question. Stupid analog cables. There are three questions today. So question number two. Which of the following was a common dial-up modem speed? (laughs) 14.4, 28.8, or D, all of the above? Martin, you you go first this time. You go first this time. Okay. I'm a sucker for all of the above, so I'll go for that one. Okay. Andrew? It's absolutely all of the above, and I think I dialed in with all of them. Okay. <laughs> Are you using any of them right now? That's the real question. <laughs> question number three. Jason's using them for this video call. Question number three of unannounced trivia corner. Similar to the first question and related to our previous discussion, how many pins did the iPod dock connector have? A15, B28, C30, D60. Both seem pretty confident. No self-respecting Apple person should get this wrong. Andrew? C30. Okay. Same. Same here. All right, and that has been unannounced trivia corner. Thank you for playing. Did I who won? Oh, this is ongoing. You don't know when it started. You don't know when oh the game is going to end. You just don't know. You don't even know your current score. How awesome is that? Yeah, I, oh, right now, goodness. I need Vincent's button because I want to push Vincent's button and have you fall through the floor. Uh, I feel like some uh, Basil Pesto spaghetti myself, actually. <laughs> So he sent in another photo of the drawer, okay? I and know. Really? Come on. Like, you're just... <laughs> amazing. How it's much amazing. do you need to rub this in? <laughs> it's like those... You know what I thought of instantly? You know those gigantic uh, mural ad things that Apple puts in its Apple stores where they arrange all of the products in, like, a diagonal grid formation? 100% that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. In a drawer. Yeah. Vincent's the kind of guy that would go to McDonald's order a Big Mac and it would come out and it would look like the Big Mac in the ads, not like the sad Big Mac you actually get given. Yeah. He just he just lives in this world of perfection. I don't know how he does it. Everything's propped up by toothpicks. Yeah. It's amazing. That drawer was insane. And we know that the button now holds headphones. It's a headphone hook. Well, it's double purpose. I still think it's a button. It seems a little dangerous to have headphones on there because what if you go to push the, the emergency drop through the floor button and the headphones stop it? Now you just now you're in this weird awkward situation where the person clearly knows you were trying to drop <laughs> them down a hole, but it didn't work. Do you just kind of like play it off like oh, I was just kidding? I don't know. <laughs> That's a situation I've never considered, frankly. <laughs> I, you got you got to you know three step three steps ahead. You gotta be thinking about these things. Well look, I look forward to the next unannounced trivia corner, whenever that may be, if indeed it ever happens again or we find out our You'll scores. You'll never know. I and I do know I'm gonna go Googling VGA cables soon. Well maybe I could just go to my office and look at the monitors that they give us. 
<laughs> the answer's right there. 